0: We direct your attention today to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, and verse number 31. Today's message will be entitled, The Judgment Compared to a Day in Court. The Judgment Compared to a Day in Court. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31 Paul concludes his sermon on Mars Hill before a pagan Grecian group of philosophers, those who supposedly were in the know. He now addresses this, and in his closing statement we read, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. For several weeks now, we have been dealing with the themes of death and the hereafter. We have seen that death is likened in the Scripture to a sleep, to a rest, to a departure. We've seen the resurrection of the body likened unto an awaking out of sleep, unto a morning or the beginning of a new day, unto a wedding day, and to a coronation or a crowning day. Now we come to another event which the Bible reveals to us shall take place in the hereafter, that is, after death. And that is the judgment of men. Of the many themes that the Bible have, there are several which are offensive to the nature of fallen man. Probably none is so sought after to escape by men and other than the concept of a coming judgment day. Nations of men if I understand the Bible correctly, governments are judged in this world because they cannot be judged in the world to come or reassembled as a nation. Hence, when we read that righteousness exalteth a nation, that sin is a reproach to any people, then God must judge a nation or a government in this life. And that's why... In our case, as the United States of America, I am a 100% convinced of this truth, that this land is under the judgment of God, for it has forsaken the God of the Bible, and now his commandments are no longer allowed to be posted in our public education systems. He's no longer allowed to be prayed to in public. And he has all but been officially banned the God of the Bible from this land. Now, you cannot escape the judgment of God as a nation when a nation does that. But individuals may do things in this life and never get caught or brought to court. But because they are human beings and can be raised from the dead, they will appear before a judgment day. And when Paul concluded his message about the true God there on Mars Hill, he consummated it with this statement, that God will judge the world in a right standard by an appointed person of his own appointing, and that person is Jesus Christ. And God has let it be known this will come to pass in that he has given assurance unto all men in that this one person has been raised from the dead to sit upon the throne of judgment. For several weeks we've been dealing with this theme. Now we come to the judgment today. And on that day of judgment, men will be tried before the throne of God and assigned their destinies by the judge of all men Jesus Christ. I would like today to take the analogy of a courtroom trial and judgment before a judge and liken it unto the coming day of judgment, which I believe there are some parallels in the word of God. First, in a normal trial or court, the judge must be duly commissioned and authorized before he can sit on the bench and render judgment. That is, the judgment must be authorized by some source, either a king, if it is uh, a government of that nature, the king must approve the judge. If it is a democracy or of some nature of judgment in which the people uh, elect their officials then those people grant certain officials the authority to appoint the judge. In this case right here, when we see the analogy between a judgment day or having a day in court in this life, we are also assured by our text today that there is going to be a judge of all men one day who have ever lived from Adam on down to the last human being, and it's going to be one judge and one judge only. And that judge is named Jesus Christ. Who is it that authorized him and commissioned him to have that right and that awesome responsibility? Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 5. The Gospel of John and the fifth chapter and verse twenty two. Jesus states the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Folks, I want to declare to you that the God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who has determined who's going to be the judge, and he's authorized to do so. God alone is right. Let God be true and every man a liar is the statement of the word of God. God has authorized that Jesus Christ of Nazareth shall sit upon the throne of judgment and judge all men out of every race, nation, kindred, and tongue, and tribe. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 This constituted one of the central ingredient of apostolic preaching and in their sermons. Acts chapter 10 and verse 41. We read in verse 40 of how that God raised up the third day and showed him what? Openly. He's given assurance unto all men. Not to all the people but unto witnesses chosen before of God. That's an interesting thought right there. God could have easily displayed the resurrected Christ before the whole city and the whole community of Jerusalem, but he did not. He revealed him unto chosen witnesses of his own choosing. Even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead, that's the apostles, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead, of those alive and those that have died. To him give all the prophet witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Another statement. God has authorized Jesus to be the judge. That was the message of Christ. The apostolic message was that they were commanded to preach to the people and to give this word of information that God ordained Jesus to be the judge of all men, whether they have died or whether they shall be alive. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, our text affirms this today in the message that Paul concluded. He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. And he will do it through the man that he has ordained, and that man is Jesus Christ. It is clear in the reading of the word of God that the judge must be duly commissioned and authorized, and I want to declare to you today, Jesus Christ has been duly commissioned and authorized by God. He is the one, and the one only, who knows all things and is qualified to handle the judgment that is placed in his hands. How can that be? Because he is God who knows all things. And he is a man who can empathize with what it's like to be a human being. He is fully qualified and commissioned and authorized by God to be the judge of mankind. Secondly, in this judgment, the judge comes to the bench... And when he comes to the bench, men rise and stand in respect of him. We get our courts of justice, our systems from England, and we have many traditions that carry over from that system of justice. We still have one. That is, when the body is present for the trial... When the judge comes in, the bailiff will stand and say, All rise. That is a symbol of respect for the one who is about to sit on the bench and render judgment. Folks, that happens not only in this life, but that's what's going to happen at the judgment day. Because all men are going to rise and stand before the judgment. Not those who have died, they will not be allowed to remain in the grave. They will stand up erect, because the judge is on the bench. They will stand up not in a sloop condition, but they will rise with a new body, and they will stand and give attention unto the judge that sits on the bench. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52 states in this fashion. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In England, in years past, when the judge would come into his courtroom he would have a long flowing wig on, if you've seen the pictures of them, and there would be a trumpet which would sound, and that would be the identifying mark for the people in the courtroom to stand and give reverence unto the judge. You read in the book of Revelation what the Lord Jesus Christ will look look like, the hairs of his head shall be white as wool. And that when he comes, there is an associated sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead shall rise and appear before the judgment. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment of God. So the judge must be duly commissioned and authorized by Christ. And when the judge comes to the bench, men will rise and stand in respect. I've seen cases in courtroom scenes in which that the defendant was sloughing off and laughing while the court was being while the trial was going on, and I have heard that judge hammer his gavel down and say, "You there, wipe that smile off your face and sit up and listen, folks." There'll be no joking around when Jesus takes the bench. There'll be no snide remarks about the judge behind his back, for he knows all things what shall be said. Men shall be required to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and honor him, whether they love him or not. They will have to give him the due respect, because God has exalted him and given him a name above every name, and it's the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. No, there will be a tension in that courtroom. Nobody will be looking around and talking about other things and saying, oh, well, when this all gets over, we can go back to doing what we enjoy doing. No, the judge is going to determine what you're going to be doing from here on. And I tell you, there won't be a sound of a pen dropping when men stand before the judgment bar on that day. Thirdly, in this judgment, in this life, in a regular court, the judge hears and determines all cases by the known laws in the kingdom. That is, it is the judge's responsibility to have searched out what the laws are, so that he is familiar with the books. And he is to judge righteously, not by his own standards, but by the standards which are set forth on the books. And that's what makes a good judge and a dishonest judge. A judge must judge righteously. And our text in Acts states that God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the men in righteousness. Now how on earth is God going to judge all men righteously? He will judge them by known law. Known law. Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. This has helped me to understand this passage of Scripture. I am not dogmatic that this is the correct understanding, but it's the best understanding I've ever come up with. And so we will adopt that until some further light is given us on this, subject. What are these books? We read in verse 11 of Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. You think anybody will be taking that scene lightly? (laughs) Not so, folks. Not so. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Interesting, isn't it? Always wondered about this. I understand the book of life, dealing with the purposes of God in electing grace, and him choosing a people, and the Son coming to redeem them, and the Spirit applying the merits of Christ's atonement through the effectual calling that these are called and their names are in the Lamb's book of life. I understand that. What are these other books, I've often wondered, that are there? And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works or their actions. Now, what are these books? Let me give you what I think they include. I believe, first of all, it includes the book of what we call the law of nature. That many men never hear about Moses and have never heard about Moses and his law that God gave. Many men never hear of Jesus Christ and his teachings. But all men will be judged by laws which they know. It is not that the judge is going to come up with a whole list of laws on that day, and say, now I condemn you on these, and the people stand there, but I never heard of those things. No, there will be a judgment based upon the laws which the judge knows and which the defendants are well aware of. What is the law of nature? Well, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and affirm it shows his handiwork. Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And Paul shows in Romans 1, 2, and part of 3 that the Gentiles, which never had the Mosaic law, had a law in their own consciences wherein they knew what was right and wrong. And folks, they will give an account on that day, out of that book, what has been made known to them, they will be held accountable. They may never hear a missionary. They may never hear the name of Jesus Christ. But they will be sufficiently accountable based on the book, out of the law of nature. Men know right from wrong. They know it's wrong wrong to steal, to lie, to cheat, to commit adultery, to kill. They know all of those things. And they'll be held accountable Based on that. They will not stand before the judge and say, wait a minute, I never heard of that one before. No. The judge who knows the thoughts and intents of every person who's ever lived and has read them recorded will open those books and those indictments will be read forth from them. Secondly, these books include the Law of Moses. If you had lived and been born in the race of Israel, Under the Old Testament covenant period there, you would have been given a book of laws, instructions which you were accountable unto your God to perform. Many of those laws were never binding on the Gentiles. That was clear in the Old Testament. It was clear by the verdict of the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. But I tell you, if you were a, an Israelite, you didn't have that option. You were accountable for those laws. And if you violated one of them, you had better take advantage of the tabernacle and the sacrificial system if you want to continue within the framework of God's coveted people. Let me illustrate. Here in this culture... If you do something driving in which your license can be taken away from you, then you are pretty well grounded by the law until you have that right restored. If you sinned in Israel, you not only sinned against God, but you sinned against the covenant arrangement that was there, and you had your privileges cut off. (laughs) And you were to have those restored by taking the proper sacrifice and going to the proper authorities. You touch a dead body. Go to a funeral and you're defiled. You can't get out in the, in the congregation of the people and fellowship. You've broken the law. On that day of the judgment, God will judge those people out of the law of Moses. And they will be held accountable for knowing and understanding that law. There's another book, and that is the book of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That message of Christ was delivered to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 of an impending Savior. When that Savior came, he incarnated himself in human form, and lived among us. He obeyed all of the laws of nature and all the laws of Moses to perfection. And he also set forth in clarity laws in which that we in this age are held accountable whether we be Jew or Gentile. For that distinction has now been nailed to the cross and there is no longer any distinction between a Jew and a Gentile. So that if you are raised in an environment, in a country, in a church, in a family that is Christian, and you are exposed to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ in the new covenant of Christ, my friend, you're going to be held accountable for those in addition to the laws of nature. Oh, listen carefully. You may be condemned from the pew of a church the same way you can be condemned in a synagogue or be condemned on some mountain out here thinking you're worshiping God. You can go to hell from a church pew. The books are opened. The book of nature, not all men here the laws of God on stone, in a covenant fashion, or the teachings of Jesus Christ, but they shall have enough to condemn them. That's why I say, Brother David, the law of nature, while it is not sufficient to save, it's sufficient to condemn. Romans chapter 1 is sufficient to condemn all men if they never hear anymore, but it's not sufficient to save. You must hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and trust in him if you're going to escape the judgment of that day. So don't just think that you'll stand there on that day if you have been born in this age and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord, I never heard of your son. No, there'll be sufficient condemnation that are on the books. And the judge will know exactly which set of books to judge his people Next of all, the judge, after having read his commission, arranges the prisoners before him. Have you ever seen, or have you ever been in a court? Have you ever had your day in court? Hmm? Any hands? How many have you been on trial before? Well, we got one up here. We've got another one? Another one right here. I've only been in court one time when I was 16 years old. It was for a crime I didn't do. <laughs> Sound familiar? I got a speeding ticket when I was 16, just had my license a few days. I wasn't speeding. The policeman that stopped me said I went by him. At around 60 miles an hour, I took off from a stoplight. He was half a block away and had me stop before the next stoplight a full block away. He said I passed him at 60 miles an hour. He said, Officer, there's no way that even my car would get up and run that fast. He said, That's what I clocked you at. I said, That's because that you pulled in beside me, behind me, and you got your speedometer up. He said, Don't you argue with me. I'm the police. Well, he gave me my ticket. And he said, do you appear in court? I found out I wasn't the only one who got a speeding ticket. And not just by others, but by that man that day. Come to find out, about two years later, on the front page of Springfield, Missouri newspaper, that fellow was fired for giving improper tickets. Didn't make any difference to me. I mean, it's too late. And I already got mine. But I went into the courtroom that day and I was going to argue with the judge. And boy, I saw how that judge was handling those in front of me, and it just went this. I mean, just that was the way it was. And I had all my argument arranged, and I got up there and he said, How do you plead? I said, guilty. Yes. Well, where did this come from? So that's it. I saw how he was handling it. He read his commission to me he said, I'm the judge, I judge such and such on this, how do you plead? I said, guilty. He said, pay the lady right over there in the next room. I went and paid $45. Listen, when the judge takes the bench, he reads his commission to the courtroom. And the defendants are there, and then they are arranged before the judge and the charges against them are set forth. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I want to show you that when Jesus Christ judges on that day, he will call before him all nations of men. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he what? sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations or all races. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. What a scene. The judge appears in glory with the accompaniment of the holy angels. You talk about bailiffs that can back up the authority of the courtroom. And he'll sit there, and all men will be arranged before him and the charges made against them by the judge. It'd be good to take what we're saying soberly now, because if you don't take it soberly now, you will take it soberly then. Next of all... The judge then calls in the witnesses and allows every man to speak for himself. In the mouth of what? Two or three witnesses shall everything be established. The charges are made. Now there must be witnesses to substantiate the charges. Those witnesses are evident in the judge himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can substantiate the charges. Satan could substantiate the charges. He's the accuser of men. The Holy Spirit can substantiate the charges. But when Jesus Christ sits upon that bench, the witnesses, I believe, will be primarily comprised of every ungodly person will be condemned by the witness of their own conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. Now watch it. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Mm. Their own conscience shall witness against them of the charges that are made. you ever thought what it would be like that from the moment that you came out of your mother's womb, if there could be some little computer recorder placed inside you and the button turned on and start recording on tape? Everything that you thought or did throughout your whole life. And then on the judgment day, that tape taken out and played back. Is there anybody here who thinks you'd pass the judgment? Hmm? Folks, when that day comes, the consciences of men that have long forgot things that they have done shall be so perfected that when they stand before the judge and the searching light of his truth, when he begins to lay out the charges which holds them accountable, their consciences will witness against them he's right. He's right. And even those who initially stand before him and begin to argue, Lord, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful works? (laughs) They're not going to stand long arguing that. The judge will expose it and their conscience, will then also condemn them. Ah, but I did those works for my glory and not for the sake of God and my fellow man. Oh, my, aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin? If you have a God who knows all about you, and you have a conscience that's given that perfect recall to remember things that you had long forgotten. As I get older and I come up and I meet people that I used to know, or they start talking about the good old days now. Remember when we used to go out and do this? And uh, remember when we went over here? I, no, I can't remember that. They can remember it well. Something's happened to my mind. It's losing its recall. Brother David on that day, the recall of men when they stand before the throne of God and he lays the charges, they won't be able to say, I don't remember doing that. No, they will recall. Son, Remember. Thou in thy lifetime, and all of it will be played back. What a witness against ourselves. Then next of all, in a regular courtroom, the judge, after finding the prisoner guilty, the defendant guilty, will then pass sentence. The judge will call upon the individual to arise. And face the bench. And then we'll sentence the guilty. Look in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Matthew 25 and verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink, etc., etc. The judge passes the sentence, Depart from me. That's the sentence. No more will you have any of my comforting presence. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Sobering, is it not? Lastly, the judge in a regular court will then order the manner, the time, and the execution of the guilty. You see, after you have a trial and a person is found guilty, then the judge pronounces the person guilty. Then usually there is a sentencing day that will be announced, sometimes then, sometimes later, in which the manner and the time and the execution of the guilty shall be enacted. If it's punishment by hanging, then there will be a date set. The manner will be hanging, and the execution will be carried forth. Folks, Jesus Christ will execute the sentence of condemnation for the wicked. He has announced it. All that awaits is but for the defendant, who is now found guilty, to be brought before the judge, and the manner, and the time, and the execution is carried out. Turn with me to the final text in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is the manner of the execution of the ungodly. The lake of fire is the final place wherein they shall stand their eternal destiny, the time of it is, this is the second death, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You read in other passages in Revelation 19 that the smoke of their sufferings ascendeth up forever, forever, and forever. Not going to be any suspended sentences going to be for all eternity, they shall suffer, remembering what they did in this present life. The manner, the time, and the execution of the guilty. Now, when Paul finished a message such as this on Mars Hill, the result was that most of them laughed and mocked and said, we'll hear you again some other time of this manner. Brother Howard, they will. <laughs> they will. There will be another time when those very hearers who mocked Paul for his preaching will hear again of a judgment. And they'll be there before it. And they'll remember if they died rejecting the message of Paul, they'll have that played back. How would you like to have stood before Paul on Mars Hill Rejected the message and mocked it when they heard of the resurrection of Christ and then die as an ungodly person and be raised to stand before that judge and have that recalled. And that conscience says, Yes, I was there. I was there. Others today try to tell us there's not going to be a judgment. God is a loving God and He really could not really judge. Listen. That's one of the things that convinces me there's got to be life hereafter because I see too many people doing things and getting by with it in this life and never giving account of it. There must be a judgment day if there's a God in heaven. There must be the person who kills and rapes and maims and they never discover who does it and then dies and is never punished The justice of God requires that there be a day of judgment. It is of essence that if there be a true God, there be a judgment day. And if you don't believe that because you think God is a loving, He's a merciful judge and He cannot judge, you go out even in this life and you talk to the victims, talk to the widows whose husbands have been murdered and see if they want the judge to let the person off. Hmm? Talk to the victims and see if they do not cry out for justice. And do you know who is, if I hope I say it correctly, who is the greatest victim of Adam's sinful act and the consequent fall? God's glory and his holiness. God has been victimized by Adam's race when they dared to attack his glory. For he's God and there's none else. And they would say, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You think God's just going to have a day in court so that he can make right the murder of a 12-year-old girl by some fiend, cut her body up, dismember her, that God's just going to have a judgment day because that fellow who did that never was caught? That'll be one of the reasons, but the ultimate reason is that the holiness of God must be vindicated. There must be a judgment day. So if there is not a judgment day, let's tear this book in half and get out of here. Let's quit trying to play church. Let's quit trying to call ourselves Christian and carry on some little social sewing club. There must be a judgment day. Are you prepared for it? Prepare to meet thy God. I am glad to tell you that that God who is righteous and all thrice holy, 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 so holy the holy angels have to cover their face to look on him. That same God welcomes sinners through the appointed means of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ coming to the Father by him. Let's stand together. Let us pray. Father, as we receive your truth, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. We are so grateful for your holy character that you will make everything right, that not one wrong shall go unpunished or overlooked, but that all the wrongs that have been done against humanity, against your creation, against you shall be righted, and your justice will be vindicated. Oh God, we're grateful as Christians today, though, to understand the gospel, that you can remain just and the justifier of everyone who believes in Jesus, in that you have borne the cost of our sin debt. We cast ourselves upon the mercy of your holy court today, We come to you on that throne, seeing a rainbow around it, how your holy law has been justly satisfied by the merits of Jesus Christ, the righteous judge. We come not in our own merits, boasting and negotiating with you, but we come all bowed down as guilty ones, seeking mercy in that day. In Jesus' name, amen.